You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Lois's Makeover, which originally aired January 27th of 2002, was directed by Jeff Melman and written by Michael Globerman and Andrew Orenstein. Hi, I'm Jake, and if you die, can I have your pillow? And I'm David, and how can they expect me to work hard if I don't even know they're watching me? They're always watching me. I see. Is that is that how that works? Absolutely. Okay. Well, crap. Before we get to this week's episode, we have our community segment. Uh, despite David's best efforts to, you know, prevent the uh, polls on Twitter. Hey, 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 I have nothing to do with the polls, you asshole. Uh, you're probably, you know, trying to interfere because they, they've been agreeing with me instead of you. Shut it's up. understandable, but... You're literally the worst. Uh, but we do, nonetheless, have some poll results from poker in which uh, we both chose Reese as the shittiest kid for smashing the fighter jet in front of Dewey. Uh-huh. Which the internet agreed with us, but uh, not by as much as you might think. Reese got 66% of the vote, with okay. Dewey getting the other 33%. Uh, Josh is leading a coup, I see. Well, no. We, uh, uh, Luke has once again uh, decided to, to let us know his votes, and he chose Dewey. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he chose Dewey for uh, snitching on Reese for not doing his homework to make him have to do the dance lessons. And he says, when Reese smashed the fighter jet in front of him, he had it coming. What? And our our buddy Eric from over at File Under Entertainment replied to that and said, facts is facts. Well, yeah, but Eric has been wrong a lot, so. So I, I, I believe that, that that is where our Dewey votes come from. And uh, Eric should know better by now. You would think so. I just can't get through to him. I think because, you know, he's so focused on all the insane things that you say, he just can't see reason when I present it to him. I hate how logical that sounds. Stop talking. Uh, and we were also in agreement for our least shitty kid for poker. We both chose Malcolm, uh, who did, you know, minimal whining and minimal bad things in that episode. And uh, once again, the internet agreed with us, but only narrowly. Okay. As 60% of the vote went to Malcolm, with 40% going to Francis. What? Well, once again, uh, Luke was among the outliers. He's one of them who voted for Francis. He says he was, you know, just put in a crazy situation against his will. Which, I mean, is true. But, uh, you know, he did almost brand his friend. Yeah, and also... It's not that crazy. It's a snowstorm in Alaska. Like, Well, interesting you should bring that up, David. Uh-huh. Because it is a specific condition uh. that they are suffering from, which, which uh, I learned about from Erica on Twitter, who sent us a message about this very subject, uh, saying that what they were experiencing is known as, quote-unquote, getting toasty. But it is a specific condition that occurs uh, in cases where people are, are in high latitudes and in extreme isolation, where they sort of uh, kind of go 
temporarily crazy. Due to, due to the combination of those things. Okay. And she also sent uh, with that a link to a podcast that uh, goes more in-depth on the phenomenon. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Erica. Always. And it's not the only thing we got from Erica. She also sent us an email also about the Alaska stuff. Oh, yeah? Oh, God. Uh, she, she sent us an email where she is uh, trying to figure out the approximate location in Alaska where Francis is. Ooh, I like I like this. This is interesting. This is right up my alley. She actually sent it to us right before we started recording this podcast, like literally minutes before. Nice. But it includes multiple maps. Oh, that's amazing. But I, I will read through her email, uh, leaving out one little tidbit that has some spoilers. Okay. Uh, but her email says... I was going to tweet this, but because of spoilers and how long it is, I decided not to. So I went on a deep dive because this episode made me wonder exactly where in Alaska Francis is located. As with the main house's location, they were intentionally vague, and Mamu County is a fictional place. But we know that logging is the main industry, and that they seem to be pretty far from a large or even mid-sized city, hence the stripper being 300 miles away. Uh, we, we find out later on that their house is partially built on a glacier. Uh, she, she goes on to say, I've attached three maps, one of the ice in Alaska, one of the forest, and a third of the places where logging happens. I see what she's trying to do. She's trying to take the data points and, and find a, and isolate areas where they could be. Yes, a, a place where there is logging, where there is a heavy forest, and... Uh, it's on a glacier. Yep. I love it, Erica. Yeah, that, that, that is good research. Uh, she concludes, Fairbanks seems likely to be the closest city to them based on trees and ice and logging locations, uh, but they're probably still far away from it. So based on that, I just kind of picked a town on the map that was in the area, the, in the right area and ended up with McCarthy, Alaska. McCarthy, huh? That's interesting. I like to envision that they're a gnome, but just because I know gnome sucks, so... Okay, fair enough. Uh, it probably doesn't fit, like, at all. I know. But that's just my headcanon. It's not a good one. It's just for me. Fair. And uh, she concludes by explaining why she went on this deep dive. She says, All this searching came about because I was wondering where the heck Francis got fresh flowers for Pete from. There's not any florists in the area. I checked because I have no life. And if he did find flowers in a grocery store or something, they would have to be incredibly expensive because a lot of Alaska and northern Canada are food deserts, so grocery stores are scarce and groceries are incredibly expensive. Right. Which is a big human rights concern for indigenous Alaskans and Canadians. There's definitely lots of homesteaders in Alaska with greenhouses, but something tells me they would not like Francis too much. That's fair. That's fair. Although, you never know. One of them could have sold him a bouquet of flowers for, like, triple cost. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's like, huh, we can normally charge 80 for these. Yeah, sure, $300. It's yours. Yeah, fair. Though that, that would require Francis to have that money, which does seem unlikely. True. It's also a trade and barter system, you know. Maybe they just took yeah, for yeah. took him for everything he has. Yeah, maybe just you know added another year of indentured servitude to Lavernia. That's right. Uh, but thank you so much for that, Erica. We we do love your deep dives. 
You know, that, that, that may be my favorite one yet. Yeah, that, that's, that's phenomenal, and I love it. Uh, but with that, that wraps up our community segment, so let's get to this week's episode. Uh, we, of course, have a cold open, which centers around Leftover Parfait. Yeah. The Wilkerson's are having for dinner, which Malcolm explains is just like a, a parfait made, made of layers of all of the leftovers from the past week. Uh, which Lois pulls it out and puts it on the table, and it w- looks like what you would expect. <laughs> it looks like the top layer looks like just mashed potatoes. You can see some noodles in there. It looks disgusting. Yeah, it looks awful. Yeah. Looking at it, Reese asks, Wait, did we have spaghetti or Chinese food on Tuesday? And Dewey says, Neither. Yeah. Then Hal, like, goes to uh, dig a specific layer out, and Lois yells at him and says, No digging! And takes the spoon from him and just gives him, like, a chunk. Yeah. So gross, man. So, so gross. Yes. And then Malcolm, looking at the layers, like, counts, uh, and then says, It's finally happened! The bottom layer of this leftover parfait is last week's leftover parfait. I've been pretty poor in my life. You know, I've eaten some awful food, but thank God we've never done this. Yeah, I mean, I, but I, I feel like this is sort of a a heightened version of a thing that would happen. Like, like definitely had, like taking this leftover dish and turning it into another thing. Well, like, if we had hamburgers one night and there were some leftover, we might have spaghetti, where they just use that hamburger meat as the spaghetti meat, like, the next day. Uh, Stuff like that. Yeah, that didn't really happen much for us, but mostly because there were so many of us, like, there wasn't that much leftovers, usually. Uh, Getting into the episode proper, we've got three plot lines we've got a lowest plot line uh we've got a b for basketball plot line and of course we have an f plot where we will begin it starts in francis's bunk where Artie is complaining asking who's been going through his underwear drawer yes and eating his jerky then, like, when uh, Francis and Eric come over to look at it, they say they think it's a rat, and they, like, hold up the jerky wrapper and, you know, see the teeth mark in it. Well, it seems to confirm it. Then Pete says they should slow down and think about this logically. Because if a rat ate all of Artie's jerky, uh, would it be chewing on Francis's pillow right now? <laughs> they turn and see the rat sitting on Francis's pillow, eating it. And they all freak out. And start throwing things at the rat. Uh, and then when it, uh, like, jumps off the bed onto the ground, uh, they all run away and, like, scramble to, uh, get on top of something. Francis gets on top of a wooden chair. And the rat runs under the chair. And right as it does, Francis's chair breaks and he crushes the rat to death. Yeah. Poor rat. Gather around the dead rat and, uh, they say, Francis, you killed it. And it did eat your jerky. (laughs) Uh, the implication is so gross. It sure is. Then, Francis and Eric are working in the lodge when a logger comes over and says he heard Francis killed a rat in their bunk. And, uh, when Francis says he did, he asks Francis to come kill a rat in their cabin. 
and Francis is, is reluctant, but Eric, like, immediately jumps on the opportunity and says that he'll do it. Because it's better than sitting around sweeping all day. I mean, true, I guess. But not really. <laughs> you know what? No. I'm going to have to take that back. No, that's awful. But we'll get into that later. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of an implication Francis is being paid for this. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's never very clear. <laughs> yeah, no. I, In fact, no, I, I don't know. I read it a different way. But anyways, continue on. But we, we then see Francis at this other cabin. Then they found the uh, rat's hole in the wall. And they uh, need a way to lure it out. So Francis gets a cookie from one of the loggers. And they, they set up their bait. And when the rat comes out, Francis throws a boot at it. Uh, misses. But it knocks a mirror down, which uh, kills the rat. Poor rat. Yeah, dead rat number two. Also, did you just yep. say a cookie? Yeah. It's very clearly a Ritz cracker. Uh, yeah, but Francis asks if anyone has a cookie or thing. That's true. But it's Wait, a Ritz right. cracker is what he gives him. That's true. Because it was the Ritz cracker box, which did you know, J- No, I'm just kidding. I didn't go into a deep dive on the cracker box. Yeah. That's because you don't do deep dives Shut, on the thing, David. I hate you. It's, no, I knew if I, if I did it, you would steal it. And so... I'm not doing the work for you this time. I would never, David. I How dare you? Yeah, keep going with the plotline. I hate you. Uh, but we, we then see... Uh, it, it seems like there's a sort of time skip as Francis uh, become known as the Rat Killer. He comes back into the lodge uh, t- telling the loggers that this other cabin is now rodent-free. And he has a, like, rat-killing utility belt. <laughs> <laughs> has some like mouse traps on it. He's got a rat pelt on it. Two rat pelts. Yeah, uh, and they're like dried hides. It's so weird. And then yeah, he's got the the mouse traps. And oh, there was something else that I noticed, but I can't remember what now. And I didn't write it down. But yes, it's I I did put it in my notes as rat utility belt. So. <laughs> Uh, and all the loggers are, like, celebrating Francis. They do a little cheer for him. But there's an old blind man in, like, old-school, like, fur trader attire. Uh, immediately gave me a uh, horrible flashbacks to the the kinds of weirdos who were super into uh, Frontier Days. Oh, God. Which I, I had to deal with a lot when I was uh, in college. Dude, Yeah. But uh, I've seen a lot of guys dressed exactly like this guy. Yeah. Uh, usually arguing about, you know, the, uh, which is better, teepees or yurts? I mean, at least over there on that side of the Frontier Days line, that's what they're arguing about. Over here, most of the time, it's whether or not they can, you know, sneak in their moonshine, so. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we got the weird, like, reenactment side of things much more than the, like, People going to concerts like they do in Cheyenne. Yeah, no, that's fair. We we have a weird mix of wannabe cowboys who just go to the 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 concerts and the old dudes who like want to brag about their moonshine because they made it in a in a bathtub, like you know their great grandpa did. It's like okay, great. I don't want to drink that. But this old man taunts Francis and. Uh, tells him he's not a real rat killer until he's 
danced in the moonlight with Rosemary. Yeah. Wait, who's Rosemary? Uh, Rosemary is the giant rat that supposedly lives under the lodge, which most of the loggers and Pete seem to not believe in. They say it's just a myth, like Stonehenge or boxing kangaroos. <laughs> but Francis, of course, takes this challenge on. He is going to kill Rosemary. Then they uh, pull up some of the floor so Francis can get under the lodge. He climbs down there. And he finds, uh, well, like an old school, like very big mousetrap that's been like bent out of shape. <laughs> then he uh, keeps crawling and he finds some tracks. Then he finds a baby rat and immediately Eric tells him to kill it. Francis says he doesn't want to kill a baby. Yeah. <laughs> when they say it's a rat, he... Says, fine, and he, you know, follows it to a hole, and when he does, he finds that the wood is rotten, and he, uh, you know, goes to pull the rotten wood out to get to this rat and look for Rosemary, but when he does, he finds a colony of rats that proceeds to swarm over him as he screams, and it does the classic... Like, layers of zoom out as his scream echoes. <laughs> it, you know, zooms out to show, like, an overhead view of the lodge, and then, like, the general area, and then just, like, so zoomed out it just looks like mountain and woods. Well, yeah, Jake, I mean, he has to, you know, you have to show how loud he's screaming. Exactly. It's almost like you've never watched TV before, and it's sad. Uh, what's TV? Never heard of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that is where the F plot ends. Yep. I will say you get a you get a lot of decent uh little clips and and quotes for this, but other than that, it's it's a very short F plot and it's very uh but uh Yeah, yeah, I mean I feel like there's a reason why when we uh talked to Michael Globerman he used this specific plot line to, you know, <laughs> illustrate them struggling to come up with ideas for F plots. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> But uh, and it is definitely the least memorable of these three plot lines. Yep. Now the other two have some very significant uh, moments, if nothing else, for <laughs> Falcon the Metal, sort of the the legacy of the show on the internet, especially and ours. Uh, yeah, true. I mean, I don't know if you know this, David, but this podcast does go on the internet. Oh, does it? Yeah. Weird. I didn't. I didn't and, know that. And. As we've established, you are the internet. Ah, <laughs> uh, I forgot about that dumb joke. See, that's the nice thing about me editing is that I get to hear all these dumb jokes again, which, you know, reminds me to bring them back up. That was, what, the community segment, right? It sure was. Okay. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I remember the context. I, I hate you. Look, we're not supposed to relive these things, all right? They're isolated incidents. <laughs> Maybe a season long if I feel like really being a lawyer. No, no. <laughs> that's the difference between you and me, David. I commit to my bits. If I make a joke once, I'll make it till the day I die. Yeah. Or I get tired of making it. I, yeah, the Scott Ackerman <laughs> approach. I'm well, well aware. He's your comedic <laughs> hero. Uh, David, Span Cave looks more like a man's grave. I hate this. Why are we here? I hate it here. Can we? Can we move on? We got other plot lines. Come on, chop chop. 
Okay, let's go to the B plot. And you're not even... Th see, this is the bad thing about the new recording setup, is I can't, like, glare at you so you can feel my loathing. Oh, no, I, 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 I can tell when you're glaring at me, David. Yeah? I can feel it. Yeah, but I, it don't, get, I don't get the same satisfaction. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. You know, that sounds like a personal problem. All right, continue on. I'm going to build us, like, a, a sound booth down here so that I can look you in the eye and smack you in the face when you say stupid stuff. Oh, I, I think the setup's fine. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Okay, well, the B plot uh, starts with the boys playing a basketball game against Hal. Uh, Dewey's yelling that he's open, when Malcolm doesn't listen, he tries to pass with Reese, and Hal steals the ball and scores. And Malcolm explains that they've been playing basketball with Hal since they could walk, and they've never won. Uh, they are zero and three hundred and forty-two. I believe it. Hal Hal does not believe in uh, coddling the children. Yeah, uh, but after thoroughly destroying them, Hal you know walks off, uh, so, sort of taunting them, d doing the like very dad thing of like praising them, but in a very passive-aggressive way. And uh, as, as he does, uh, Dewey, with you know no one paying attention to him, is. Uh, shooting, and he makes a basket, and when Malcolm sees this, uh, he, you know, uh, tries to point it out to Reese. He says, Reese, look! And, uh, Reese looks over as Dewey shooting another basket, and he says, yeah, you're right! And then he yells at Dewey to give the ball back. Uh, Malcolm says, uh, no, no, Dewey made a shot. I didn't used to be able to do that. And he, uh, says, you know, this is how they are going to beat Hal. They're going to use Dewey. Then we see them back at home, uh, where they are practicing their new strategy. Uh, they're sort of passing the ball around with, uh, ha having Dewey shoot, standing, like, under the basket. And they're really excited. They say that, you know, now they can definitely beat Hal. And they start, uh, fantasizing about how they're going to make him cry. True. Uh, which they're all very excited about. <laughs> then we see their plan in action as they are once again playing with Hal. And as they practice, they pass to Dewey, who makes a shot, and Hal is, you know, uh, seems genuinely proud of Dewey, you know, uh, tells him a great, great job, and he looks very happy about it. Then they do the same thing again, and Hal, uh, once again, praises him, but, uh, looks, you know, kind of concerned and perturbed by this, uh, as he realizes that they might stand a chance against him now. Well, then, he has to teach him how streetball is played, Jake. He sure does. As then we get a montage of Hal playing dirty. <laughs> starts with Reese having the ball, and Hal trips him, steals the ball, like, starts to dribble away, then comes back and says, Sorry, son, and then goes back to play. Then uh, we see him shove Malcolm down and steal the ball, uh, and we see him uh, dribbling with the ball, and he, like, butt bumps Dewey, knocking him over. Then we see him uh, spike the ball as Reese tries to make a shot, just yelling, denied. Then we see him uh, just hit Reese in the face with the ball, like bounce it off of his face to knock him down. Right. And he takes the ball from there and does a layup and scores. And he once again wins. And when they complain that he fouled them on almost every single play, he says, you know, he's... 
teaching them how to be good losers. He's teaching them sportsmanship. That's right. He's always taught them sportsmanship. That's what they're learning. Exactly. Like, I get it, man. Then, uh, back at home, the boys are once again practicing. Uh, they're sort of, you know, figuring out with there being three of them. Uh, as long as they, they you know, work on their passing, uh, it doesn't matter how much he fouls them, that they can make sure that they can win. And Hal comes out and he sees them doing this, and he says, you know, he might be concerned if it wasn't for his patented uh, fadeaway jump shot. And as he does it, he falls and immediately starts complaining about how he twists his ankle. And the boys just sort of stare at him as he asks for help with suspicion. And uh, they, they do eventually help him up and help him get inside. Then we see him on the couch with an ice pack on his ankle reading a magazine. And the boys uh, all come out and sort of surround him. You know, then they're asking him how his ankle is and saying it's interesting that he hurt his ankle you know, right as they were putting together this strategy to beat him. Very convenient. And when, uh, Hal uh, asks, you know, what what they're trying to imply, Malcolm directly accuses him of faking his injury. He says it's, it's uh, strange how far some guys will go to avoid being beat by their kids. Right. And Hal says, oh, he, he's not trying to avoid that. Uh, he'll play right now, even injured. And he'll still uh, wipe the floor with them. And they say, no, no, take your time. You'll recover eventually. It has to heal sometime. Then we see Hal coming home from work using a baseball bat as a cane as he limps towards the back door. And as he does, he notices a basketball is, you know, sitting there and taking a look around and seeing that he's alone. He takes the basketball and he just can't resist as he runs over and dunks the ball. But as he's hanging from the rim, he he uh, like looks in the garage window and just sees Dewey staring out at him. And he just says, get your sneakers, faker. <laughs> I, I love this scene watching Hal get out and like do the fake limp with the baseball bat as a cane too. It's just, it, it's so good. It's so Brian Cranston. Because it's, it's that sort of physical comedy that is so he's so good at, you know, because he's got this very believable, very real, uh, you know, limp. And he's using the, the baseball cane. And then he goes to his little jumping around, hop skipping little routine on the basketball court. I don't know. It's just it was hilarious to me. Uh, then we go to the final game between the boys and Hal, uh, which is. Neck and neck, the boys are ahead by one point. Then, well, with the game on the line, Hal pulls Reese's shorts down in order to steal the ball and score, tying it up for the game point. And Hal has the ball, and he's, you know, waiting for them as they uh, huddle up and strategize. And Malcolm says the only way they can beat him is if they do the move. The play. Yeah, yeah, you're right, the play. Yeah, because Malcolm very clearly has been uh, creating plays for them uh, throughout this process. Yes. Dewey and Reese are both skeptical, but Malcolm convinces them to try it. Then, as Hal uh, is driving towards them, they essentially form a human towers. Malcolm gets on Reese's shoulders, and Dewey gets on Malcolm's shoulders in front of the net. 
And Hal uh, goes to, uh, like, try to jump and do a layup over them. And as he is midair, Reese punches him in the balls. <laughs> and yeah. they grab the basketball and just, like, pass it up the ladder to Dewey, who without luck, he just throws it behind himself and they score. And they finally defeat Hal. And that wraps up the B plot, leaving only the L plot. Oh, yay. Actually, I like this plot a lot. It starts at the Lucky Aid, which is where most of this plot line will take place, with Steven Dobolowski, beloved <laughs> character actor, uh, playing Lois, his manager, sadly only for this episode. Uh, I was, I was going to ask if he stays, because that would have been great. That would have been. But sadly, no. He has to go uh, star in Memento, David. Your favorite movie. I'm not even dignifying that with any sort of rebuttal. <laughs> Just keep going. Keep going. You're, 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 you're on thin ice, counselor. But he is telling the employees that he has their evaluations from the uh, secret shoppers. Uh, they had to go through the store. He's going to uh, pass out their results. And then he wants to talk to each of them about how they can improve. Then... As he, like, walks off, Craig is freaking out about his results. Uh, of course, he goes to Lois about this. He's talking about how unfair it is uh, that they have people, you know, secretly spying on them. It's where, where your intro line comes from. Uh-huh. And he says, uh, you know, what, what's next? Uh, cavity searches? All the loading docks? And Lois is, like, uh, trying to calm him down, telling him it's not a big deal. And as she is, she's opening her own report, and she's, you know, uh, reading it and says, you know, she was professional and polite and had questionable hygiene. <laughs> as she reads that, she, like, does a double take and, uh, you know, continues reading as, as it, uh, well, what is the word that they use for it? I, I, was, I was thinking frumpy, but I don't think that's right. Uh, uh no. Something um, like that. God bless it. No, it's not frumpy. Damn it, I'd have had it until you said frumpy, and now that's just... What do they say? It's fucking awful. It's not comely. It's, uh... I have a million words running through my head right now. Oh, what? Uh, slovenly. Slovenly. That's it. Yep, 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 yes, yep. Yes, yes. Like, as she's, like, starting to now freak out about this report that she's read, Craig has read his own, and he says, You know what, Lois? You're right. This is, uh, silly. I mean, mine says I'm apathetic, lazy, and overweight. What world do they live in? That he, uh, throws it over his shoulder and says he's gonna take five. Oh, Craig. Then, uh, we see Craig being, uh, you know, paranoid now about secret shoppers trying to, you know, be over the top in his, uh, helping of customers. As he's, you know, specifically bagged, uh, this lady's groceries with both a paper and plastic bag and he put the uh conditioner he recommended in a separate bag for her and he offers to take it out to her car and then he like gives her a hug yes and, and as he hugs her he whispers pay it forward such a creep I, mean, I i don't think i don't think craig's intentionally being creepy at least for once no i i don't <laughs> think craig is ever intentionally creepy that's the problem i don't think he knows how creepy he is uh <laughs> yeah yeah i guess but it's a different kind of creepy than his lowest stuff true this is an honest creep instead of like trying to get laid creepy well i i, I wouldn't call it honest either it's just you know different no, motivation no. he's just trying to you know impress this uh potential secret shopper i would right i would call it honest look 
I'm not saying that his motives are pure, but I, I think that when I say honest creepy, I mean that, like, he doesn't have an idea of personal boundaries or anything, Jake. So I think to him, like, that's a legitimate, like, nice thing to do for someone. Whereas me, if... I don't, yeah, if you're a random person, please don't touch me. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair, fair enough. I, I can see your point. Yeah, that's what I mean by, by that. Yeah, but, but it is still, uh, as Craig's motivations always are, about self-interest. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, agreed. Lois is talking to the manager, sort of trying to, uh, explain that she thinks the day that the secret shopper came in must have been the day that her son Dewey tried to cook for himself, and... After putting out the fire, she didn't have time to properly clean up. He tells her, you know, not to freak out. It's not a big deal. They, they have people who work here with the expertise to help her. Cuts to her working with a- another employee who I get the impression, like, works their makeup counter. It looks like the Lucky 8 actually has. So, like, that's the thing. Some stores still have it, but it's it's not as common as it once was. But, like, it's it's not just the makeup counter. Like, that... It looks like they're actually at, like, the... I don't know what the hell you call it. So maybe makeup counter is the right word, but it's it's literally an area with, like, chairs where people who are actually trained to apply makeup and and stuff would actually do people's makeup for them uh, and then also sell the product and stuff. So they get you twice. Yeah, that's, that's what a makeup counter is. I guess... I don't know. I worked retail too long, so makeup counter for me is is... Not with the chairs and all that. They don't actually put your makeup on. Yeah, no, to, to, to me that's like, and, and I could be, you know, completely wrong because I, I know nothing about this. But yeah, I, to, to me that's what, like, a makeup counter is. If there's not, like, a person there that does that, it's not a makeup counter. It's just, like, an area where they sell makeup. But again, I, I, I have right. <laughs> That's always just been my assumption. Right. No, I, I get what you're saying. But no, I don't, I don't believe so. This is a little more full service than makeup counters that I'm familiar with in my experience working retail. But again, past that, I don't know anything about it either. So we could both be really wrong. You know what? Here's the one time audience write us and tell us we're wrong. Because this time we know we are. We just don't know how wrong. Fair. Maybe this is the one time we're right. Because we think we're wrong. No, I don't have you that kind know. of. I don't have that kind of faith in us. But uh, as this other employee is preparing to help her, Lois sort of has a little rant about how unfair it is. She takes care of her kids at home, and she, you know, works thirty-eight hours, and they they expect her to be a model on top of all of that, and uh, you know, just sort of uh, talking about how how shitty it is that they expect her to do this. That uh, the makeup lady tells her that she has uh, beautiful eyes. It's a shame to hide them behind no makeup, and you know, reassures her, you know, not to be scared of new things. Uh, then we see Lois come home with very over the top makeup, and she you know is complaining to Hal about how she had to wear this stuff for you know five hours at work. And she's uh, complaining about how horrible it is. But, uh, of course, upon seeing her, Hal is uh, very into it. He does, like, a weird turned-on grin when he sees her. <laughs> yeah, he, he, with the little growl and everything. Yes. Little contortion of the face, yeah. It cuts to Hal and Lois's room, which is, like, torn apart. Looks like a tornado went through there. Yes. Uh, there's, like, makeup all over the uh, pillows and blankets. 
And whatever it finally gets to Lois and Hal, Lois's makeup is like super smeared, like half off. And Hal is talking about how she's the most beautiful woman to ever live. While Lois is just laying there looking disgusted. (laughs) Back at work, one of the male employees gives Lois some coffee, says he was you know, while he was getting his, he just thought of her. Then another employ- another male employee offers to lift some boxes for her. He says she shouldn't be lifting such heavy boxes. And at that point, she, you know, points out that she's been lifting these boxes for years and he's never said anything. Why is he saying something now? Yeah. And she, uh, you know, starts piecing together that uh, the, these men are treating her better but because she's, you know, wearing this makeup now. And uh, when uh, she questions this other guy about it, he says he doesn't know why he's treating her so much nicer now. And then he uh, says he, he's going to go get lunch. And then, like, even as he's going off to get lunch, he asks, do you want anything? <laughs> then we go to another aside with Craig, a very important one, as it uh, starts with Craig bringing... A uh, another customer, a specific water bottle that's a slightly darker shade of blue. He had to move, what was it, 15 pallets of charcoal? (laughs) Something like that. And he got a few minor spider bites, but it's no big deal. (laughs) Then after helping this customer, he turns around to see an old lady who asks him where the dog toys are. And he says, "Uh, they're right behind you. And she says, no, those are leashes. And he says, right above that. (laughs) If I could direct your attention three inches to the right. And, uh, you know, looking at these dog toys, she finds one. uh, She finds a hot dog toy. uh, But she she, uh, doesn't want that one because Peekaboo doesn't eat mustard. (laughs) But uh, she sees some other hot dog toys, you know, up top. And she asks Craig to get one of those down for her. And Craig tells her those have mustard as well. But she insists. So Craig uh, gets up there and manages to pull it down. But we hear the sound of his pants ripping as he does. Uh, it's not his pants. It's actually his sleeve. Oh, uh, is that what it is? Yeah, you get to see the you get to see the rip. It's uh, it's his sleeve at his underarm, and it rips. Uh, I, I did not see that, so I just assumed it was a pants ripping joke. Oh no, and that's fair given the uh, the way they film it. But no, uh, it's it's a hundred percent his sleeve rips. But he gets it down. And he hands it to her, and of course she stares at him and says, This has mustard on it. I told you that. Yes, Craig <sighs> finally <Ugh>. snaps. <laughs> he yells at her that he, he uh, you know, already told her that it did. <laughs> and uh, this, of course, escalates into them throwing dog these squeaky dog toys at each other. <laughs> so, I love that you chose the hot dog with mustard on it for our award. Because, Jake, I've seen this before. I'm aware. I've not seen this episode before, but I've seen this clip before. Now, what you don't know, because I I believe I told you about this before. I've seen it in some sort of, like, training or something. I don't remember. Like, I don't remember what we were doing. Was it it anger management? I don't know. One of the trainings, (laughs) though, that I've been to used this clip. Mm -hmm. and, And it's been long enough ago that I don't remember. But that's not the funny part to me. The funny part to me is that I didn't realize that it was Malcolm in the Middle as I'm thinking back when I was watching it. For some reason, in my head, when I like try to remember that training, it's not Craig, but it's Newman in this scene. 
or whatever his real name is. It's Newman. That's his real name. <laughs> Jake, dang it. Right, excuse me. I, I, mis- I mispronounced it. It's Newman. <laughs> anyway, I could have sworn that he was in this episode. Like, I've gone this entire time, ever since we first talked about that scene, and, like, remembering seeing this, and, like, me going, oh, yeah, I remember that, waiting for the dude who plays Newman to be, like, even as a one-off, a lucky employee. I nice. This was not Craig in my memory. That's uh, Yeah. <laughs> Memory's a fickle thing, Jake. Look, I'd never seen Craig but he looked vaguely familiar, so my brain just <laughs> replaced him with Newman. Yeah, fa- fair enough. And I uh, didn't make that realization until we were watching the episode today. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, this is this specific scene is like one of the like most shared like clips from Malcolm in the Middle. It's what this and the roller skating sequence from Roller Skates are are the two that like I, I've just seen all over the place on social media for years and years another one that i've seen is uh the 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 fight lois's birthday the clown fight yeah i've seen that one a couple times yeah yeah that that, that one goes around as well but I, I feel like this is probably the biggest one i believe it but i haven't other than in that training i haven't seen it yeah i feel like this is also the the only one that i've ever seen like where, where people aren't, like, referring to it as a Malcolm in the Middle Cup. It gets shared a lot just as, like, a, this, this is what working in retail is. I mean, <laughs> yes, 100%, that's true. Yeah. I don't miss it. Yeah, yeah, fair. It does not seem great. It's not. We then go back to Lois, who is in the break room, and another employee comes in and uh, tells her that he uh, can't cover her shift like he said he was going to because his brother got hockey tickets. And he, like, uh, no, apologizes, but starts to leave. Uh, but then Lois flirts with him a little bit and does, like, the, you know, hair twirling thing and all of that. And he, he says, you know, he, he can be a little bit late for the game. He, he will cover for her. And uh, as he, like, walks off, Lois looks in the mirror and looks disappointed in herself. Then the manager comes in and he compliments Lois on her improvement. And she says that she hasn't done anything different than she, you know, has the past three years. Yep. But he is going to offer her a promotion anyway. He's going to move her over to customer service. But she'll have to, you know, dress up a little bit more. Yeah, he tells her she's going to have to uh, be a bit more feminine. Yeah. And he tells her, you know, what she's done so far is a good start. He just needs more. Yeah. And Lois says that uh, she will think about it and she'll get back to him tomorrow. Then outside in front of the Lucky, like in the uh, parking lot, she's like pacing back and forth, you know, struggling with what she wants to do, trying to decide. And a man approaches her and propositions her. Uh, yeah. He asks if it would be cheaper if they use his car or if they get a hotel room. And Lois uh, says, you you think I'm a prostitute? And uh, upon hearing that, he says, oh, uh, no. And she says, no, you do. <laughs> and initially, it looks like she's angry. But, but then she says, this is great. And she grabs the guy and pulls him into the store. 
And she takes him to her manager and says, This guy thought that I was a prostitute because of, you know, you making me wear this makeup. And I was, you know, doubting uh, everything I believed. But this is confirmed I was right. And she uh, tells him she's going to go back to using her dollar store mascara and maybe a hair clip if she feels like it. And he's going to have to put up with it. And she marches out, uh, leaving this guy with the manager, who says, uh, So are you going to tell my sister, or am I? Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. And that dude is so... Uh, I can never pronounce his last name right, but I love his deadpan and just sort of dry delivery. I love it. Absolutely. I love Stephen Tobolowsky. Yeah, Tobolowsky. That's, that's, that's a good attempt. I'm I'm fairly sure that's close. Yeah, fair enough. I just <laughs> I can never say his name right when I read it. So, but yes, I I, <laughs> I love that dude. He cracks me up, and just, that line as they leave it is is great. It, it is. It, it's such a such a good throwaway lie. Just yeah, <laughs> such a good punchline to end things with. Uh, but we do get one more little scene uh, as Lois is back at the house, uh, you know, no longer wearing the makeup. And she's like cleaning up, uh, picking up some laundry and stuff in the living room. And uh, she picks up a baseball cap and like just puts it on her head backwards. And Hal, uh, seeing her do this once again, gets gets his uh, horny face. Uh-huh. <laughs> his little... Like half grin, half like snarl expression. Yeah, it's like a it's like a subdued happy jungle cat. Sure. I don't know. It's awful, but it's great. And that's how the episode ends. Uh, so with that, let's go to our awards. Awards. I feel like we have to begin, since we are on the episode, the Hot Dog with Mustard on it award, the award for the best line. Kind of figured you would say that. I chose not to use the, uh, the, the, a- any of the lines from that particular exchange. Really? Yes, because I felt like it was, you know, it was, it was too on the nose. <laughs> I feel like we have to. That would be like not giving Cloris Leachman the Cloris Leachman Award when she's on an episode. Yeah, well, uh, I will rephrase. I chose to come up with backup awards that aren't from that exchange. Okay, fair. I mean, I came up with one backup that's not from there. Uh, because, yes, uh, initially I just had, like, almost every line from that conversation between Craig and that lady as my awards. That's because it's phenomenal. It, it is. It's so good. <laughs> See, this is what we should do for this one. We should both pick our favorite part or our favorite line from the altercation that gave us the hot dog with mustard on it award, and then okay. we should have then we should give the award to another line in the episode. Yeah, okay, that 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 makes sense. Okay, I agree. All right, democracy has won. So, w- which line from that conversation do you? Uh, like the most, David. My favorite part of that, although it's all gold, is the the look on Craig's face alone. But just when he's like, "If I could direct your attention three inches to the right," like <laughs> I have been in that situation so much working retail. Ah, I I have literally had to point out at one of the giant end cap sale signs in giant like 
82 font l- numbers 999 to a person before so like i totally get it i poor craig i feel for him i <laughs> i i get this i've been there i understand and i love it it's so perfect this old lady is just such a perfect like <laughs> shitty obnoxious customer <laughs> yes she is yes and she that's is that's why uh, she actually has my favorite line from this exchange, and it's very simply, after, you know, going through all of this and, you know, Craig insisting they all have mustard, looking at this toy and just looking Craig in the eyes and saying, this has mustard on it. <laughs> That's what I was trying to tell you, you old hag. Yes, a hundred percent with Craig snapping on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, love it. Uh, I can understand why this is the final straw. <laughs> yeah, no, same. But for for my favorite line outside of this exchange, we have another very big like internet uh, related line. As as we have like maybe the most popular Malcolm the Middle meme comes from this episode, and it's also my favorite line, and it comes from Dewey. No, uh, after. After doing their don't, move, no, after don't take mine. Don't take mine. I hate says, you. The future is now, old man. I yes, I. God damn it, that was mine. I don't have another one. I hate you. You, you don't. You don't have a backup for your backup, huh? No, because I had four lines from the Craig Exchange. That's fair. Because I also chose that because it's amazing. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. God dang it, Jake. You're the worst. Now, the best part is I even had a backup for that. I believe it. That doesn't help me, though. So I guess it gets it twice. So nice we named I'm it twice. That. That's right. I hate you. All right. Keep going. You're the worst. Okay. Well, since I stole that from you, you can go ahead and go first for the Roller Skating Award. The award for the best visual moment. Mine comes from the uh, the same scene, uh, and it is the groin punch. Yeah, I absolutely. Specifically, it's it's the whole build up to it. Like I love the way. Like it's almost like a uh, for those of you who are old enough. Uh, it's almost like the way they would show like Power Rangers assembling the Zord. <laughs> they like <laughs> put themselves together in pieces and then stand up, and you now have the the towering boys in front of Hal, and then. You know, you get this slow motion jump shot from Hal, and then you just get Reese. Nuts are right at face level, and boom, and then break away. I love it. It was wonderfully shot. It was great, and it's 100% something that kids would do. Absolutely. And look, the Nards are fair game. Yeah. I mean, he has taught them that. Exactly. But still, cheap shot, and not it's against the rules. But anyways... Uh, yeah, that, of course, was also my first choice. But uh, my backup is the montage of Hal playing dirty. Yeah. Especially him hitting Reese just in the face with the basketball. <laughs> just so good. So funny. Yeah. No, the, the yes, the, the little, the, the basketball bounce off of his forehead was phenomenal. I loved it. Uh, and just, and then, like, when he pants his Reese, like, Dear God, do do you have no limits, Hal? No, no. Right, look, he's the kind of dad who, you know, teaches their sons that the Nards are fair game. Very clearly. Yeah. 
so moving on to our next award, which one of these plot lines did you choose to give the A plot of your heart? I gave it to the the Hal and the Boys plotline. Lois's plotline's great, but I just I love watching this. I love the competition between the boys and their dad. I I love Hal's just cheap shot and now my dad never did this with sports or physical things, but you know as well as I do, my dad would cheat to win. It, mostly it was video games or board games. My dad hated to lose. So I feel this on a a major it to the point where pretty much you were the only person who play risk with me because I got taught risk and scrabble my dad was so cutthroat and bloodthirsty that that's how I learned how to play those games and so mm-hmm. like I just I I take yeah take no prisoners show no mercy and I'm really good at them and uh yeah yeah my, my, my parents at least would never cheat in games but they, they definitely had the philosophy of you know, they're, they're not going to take it easy on you. Right. No, no matter, you know, how young you are, if it's your first time playing, none of that matters. Right. If, if you can't keep up, you will be ground into dust. <laughs> yeah. No, my very first time playing chess with my dad, he three-move checkmate me. And then he's like, here, I'll teach you how to do that. <laughs> and then he wouldn't teach me the defense for it. What a dick. My dad was super competitive. And you've played video games with my dad. He would He would cheat himself, you know, up ahead of us. On all the video games we play. Mm-hmm. Sure would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I also chose the B-plot as the A-plot of my heart. Okay. And who did you give your favorite character? I gave most like character to... It was it was a toss-up, but Craig, for the exchange with the old lady. I, I loved it. Yep, we, we are on the same page. I also chose Craig as my favorite character. Just his whole, his whole progression through this, just the gradual wearing down until he breaks is just so good. Yeah, no, 100%, I agree. And I, I love Craig whenever he's not being, you know, a creeper towards Lois. Yeah, no, fair, me too. And shockingly, in an episode where, uh, you know, men being creepy towards Lois is a central thing, Craig isn't. Right, yeah, no, I, I'm not gonna lie, I was really expecting a lot more creepy Craig here. Yeah, it would make sense, but uh, no. Well, moving on to our next award, who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? I gave it to Jane Kaczmarek. So, yeah, I also chose Jane Kaczmarek for my Cloris Leachman Award. So she's the only one who had, like, a real uh, character arc to go through this episode. Fair. I think that's the right choice. So, yeah, the, there was a lot of great lines in the other arcs, but just not... Nothing worthy of the award, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, she, she just did such a good job of sort of expressing the frustration that I've, I I know of a lot of women that I've known that have sort of gone through with just so much extra effort and money having to go into their appearance to be you know considered professional. Yeah, no, you're you're hundred percent correct. Unless you've got anything else to. Add there. I think we can move on to our OK Boomer Award. Uh, our award for the moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Well, it's it's funny where you left off. I'm going to go ahead and go forward with this because uh, where you left off with the last one kind of rolls directly into my OK Boomer Award, which was the 
having Lois actually go to their makeup counter and forcing her to wear makeup in order to get her promotion. Well, obviously, I know this kind of thing still still exists, but uh, around this time and, and before this, going back, God knows how long. I mean, we all know that was kind of a, a real thing. Like, there were businesses that would actually pay for their uh, female employees to get and have makeup done or uh, hair done and things like that so that they looked, quote-unquote, you know, presentable or good enough for the company, which was insane. Yeah, I, I think, like, the overtness here is what makes it feel much more a thing of the past. I feel like now it's it's much more of a unspoken thing that, that tends to happen, at least, like, fr from my knowledge of, of this stuff. I think there's still... I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I think there's still shitty people who... who will speak it, and I think that there are people who, uh, they find, you know, the quote-unquote professional way to say it to women, but the the difference is, is that, like, to, to me, that really sets it apart. Like, I, I think you're right, the overtness, but also just the fact that it's, it's so accepted and so, like, natural that the company is paying for it, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's a whole nother level to me. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Uh, that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with shittiest kid this time. Who did you have as the shittiest kid? Malcolm. Okay. Interesting. Well, why'd you choose Malcolm? Uh, well, see, at first, I, I, it was going to be Reese. Because Reese punched Hal in the balls. But, as you pointed out, the Nards are in play. Yep. This is an established rule from Hal. However, still a cheap shot, still a awful and despicable thing to do in order to win. But that, I think, also gets attributed to Malcolm because, as we saw demonstrated multiple times, Malcolm is the one creating the plays and teaching the other boys and drilling the other boys on the play. And as you pointed out already... Reese and Dewey were hesitant to go with this play, whereas Malcolm was the one who pushed them into it. So that, on top of the creating the play to stack the three of them so they could physically block the the uh, uh, basket from Hal, it's awful, it's cheap, and uh, it's funny, but uh, <laughs> it's shitty. And being as the boys really didn't do a whole lot this episode... As Malcolm as the mastermind, that puts him as shittiest hmm. in my world. Interesting. See, I, I'm not... Uh, two things. One, I, I don't think the... Aside from the punching Hal and the balls part of it, I don't think the plan is a bad thing to do. I, I don't even think it's necessarily cheap. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily against the rules to uh, stack three guys on top of each other. I'm pretty sure the NBA would have a problem hmm. with it, Jake. I, 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 I doubt that's in the rules, David. I highly doubt oh. it. I don't think it's a written rule, Jake. It's one of those gentlemen's rules. As Airbud has taught us, oh, if my it's God. not explicitly written in the rule book, it's not against the rules. You didn't just bring up Airbud as your defense. I, it's the legal precedent. No, David. no, it's not. Airbud is trash. Airbud. Airbud is trash. Airbud. Airbud is trash. Air the, the oh yeah, wherever those movies took uh -huh. place, sports committee yeah, no, mm. clearly states. 
It's not in the rule book a dog can't play, therefore the dog can play. The problem is, Jake, is that you're confusing state statute and federal law against gaming commission rulings. And it's a gaming commission ruling, which is fine and legal within that jurisdiction, but that doesn't affect here. So, nice mm, try. I don't know. I don't know. I, I know you don't, because you're not a lawyer, and that's okay. I appreciate the attention. Neither are you. Of course I'm not. Fuck. <laughs> but I can play uh, one better. I have spent a lot more time studying constitutional law. But for shittiest kid, I actually chose Francis this time. I almost did. I almost uh, did. The, the, the reason being, one, as you already said, the boys really aren't that bad this episode. True. They're <laughs> actually fairly well behaved. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, the, the the reason I chose Francis is that you know he initially he was he didn't want to kill the baby rat. It's on board for, understandable. And then, but he immediately caved when when confronted with peer pressure from Eric. I I agree, and I also think that he, he's despicable for this. Yeah, I, I think he's he's clearly the shittiest kid for me this episode. Yeah, no, I you know what. That's a rational argument, and it's almost the one that I, I went with, but I admittedly didn't want to argue with you today, and I thought that it was going to be an argument. No, no. Uh, uh, would you say it was a rational argument? No, I wouldn't, Jacob. No, I wouldn't. What is wrong with you? That was a terrible, terrible joke. Don't, don't exploit those poor rats. They're just trying to live, man. Well, you. who did you have as least shitty kid? Uh, so this was a toss-up between two of them, obviously, because Francis, completely out. Malcolm, completely out. Both shitty. I almost chose Reese just because he really doesn't do anything Reese-like. I mean, the closest thing is punching in the groin, but again, he punched Hal, who has explicitly stated that the Nards are fair play. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to choose Dewey because... While I think that Reese punching in the groin and then Dewey rubbing it in are both about this on par with each other, I have to take into account the rest of the episode. And Dewey did basically nothing the rest of the episode of any evil, and he clearly showed the the grit. To, to practice and get better, and he was sinking those baskets left and right, Jake. So clearly he was practicing and giving his all to the sport, whereas Reese just, you know, was looking for the easy way out. Okay, okay, I, I can see that argument. I did, however, go with Reese as the least shitty kid. For, for, for me, <laughs> it's, it's a, it is a matter of, you know, grading on the curve. Right. That, you know, they're, they're all pretty good this episode. True. Which is, but, you know, it, it was... A fairly normal level of goodness for Dewey. True. This is an exceptional level of goodness for Reese. I no. Reese is a good kid. He's a good boy. No, no. <laughs> Reese is a real piece of shit. Normally. But uh this episode, the only the only really bad thing he does is the, you know, pre established uh punching Hal and, and the Nards, and the Nards are fair game. So I can't hold that against him by, you know, Hal's own rules. That is true. So, Al sunk himself. Yeah, and Dewey uh, inadvertently set the kitchen on fire. We learn in this episode. That's we don't true. see it, but we do learn it in this episode. So I had to go with Reese. 
Wow. It happens occasionally. It does. I thought you were just biased against him. Absolutely not, David. Uh, I judge him fairly every time. Oh, that's definitely not true. All right. Unlike some people. Oh, you, you, you're, you're too much. You're out of it. You're out of line. <laughs> Let's move to the Cranston Connection. Yeah. What do you got for that, David? Stuff. <laughs> it's riveting. Yeah? No, not at all. You know, there's, there's very little... Obviously, there's all the psychological uh, indications uh, from this episode, uh, and and while there's a couple things I could talk about, I, I think that this episode sort of speaks to why Hal is so overprotected of, of Walt Jr. Uh, in the future, because you know he had his relationship with these boys, and whatever happens, uh, which I'm sure we'll find out later to sort of explode this family and cause him to walk away from this family. He didn't want to relive that, and he didn't want to have this sort of competitive, uh, aggressive relationship with Walt Jr., and the reason being is because he saw what monsters he created the first time, and he wanted to prevent them from being as as corrupted and twisted as he is. Okay, interesting, interesting, uh... Theory you, you, you got there, David? You know, it, it adds up. M- might be our least uh, concrete one. Yeah, yet, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the, the, the <laughs> I appreciate the uh, psychological bent to your bullshittery. <laughs> Look, dude, there's going to have to be some bullshit with this segment in the future. Oh, oh no, for like. sure, for sure. That's why I'm not giving you shit for this. <laughs> because I am sure I will do the same at some point. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we have to. Absolutely. Okay, well, with that, let's move to our last segment, David's Guessing Game, which uh, is another mixed bag for you this week. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll start with uh, the, the parts that you did well on, uh, which is the, you, you predicted Lois would have, like, very over-the-top makeup, which was uh, mostly true. Most of the scenes with her, you know, with all the makeup on were pointedly over-the-top. And that men would, uh, like, be really into it despite this. Specifically, you took the guess that uh, Hal would be very into it. Uh, you, You thought that Craig might be super into it, which ended up not being the case. Or that a random dude from work would be, like, very into it. And with the exception of Craig, that that all panned out. The, the part that you didn't uh, do so well on is you, you thought that this would be like the Mary Kay style, like a makeup party like era that, that was big, like in the early 2000s would be like why Lois was doing this. Correct. Uh, which was not the case. Yeah, I was uh, way off base here. Yeah, so... Uh, Given all that, I was initially going to give you an 80%, but I decided to knock another 5% off for uh, incorrectly guessing that Craig would be one of the uh, potential dudes who was super into Lois and all of her makeup. So I'm giving you a 75%. Alright, well, I don't like it, but I gotta take it. And what do you think is going to happen next week in Company Picnic? I think we're finally going to meet Hal's boss. Okay. I would suspect that maybe Hal's family does some things that sort of put him in an awkward position. Maybe. I I keep picturing 
you remember the office picnic episode? Yes. I, I keep picturing like weird shenanigans kind of like that, but like taken to the extreme to the to the Wilkerson's level, you know what I mean? Okay. Like if they're doing three legged races with the potato sack, the boys will put a snake in one of the sacks or something. You know what I mean? Like I don't think that's actually gonna happen, but that level of just awful. Okay. And being as I don't know, I, I don't think we're going to find out what Hal does. We might find out more about the company, but I don't think we're going to find out what Hal does. You know what? Actually, I don't think Hal's boss knows what Hal does. Yeah? Yeah. I, I like it. It's an interesting uh, guess. I, I like the specificity. It just it seems like such a thing for them to do. And also, I've been, like, I'm just thinking about my personal corporate experiences. I guarantee you, they're, like... Because, like, they know, like, kind of what I do, but, like, they don't know what I do. Like, my boss right. could not teach someone else to do my job. So, yeah, I that's all I've got, but I'm sticking with that. Okay, uh, and uh, for anyone who's, you know, watched through the show before and is curious, we are going to be covering both part one and two of Company Picnic as one episode next week, uh, as that is how it originally aired. So it's going to be a long one. And before we wrap up here, I do have a small tidbit of trivia. Oh. And that is that the version that we watch and that many of the people who, uh, you know, are, are potentially watching along with us uh, watched, the song that plays when they do the play is not the original song used. Uh, in the original airing, and I believe all of the, like, actual on-TV re-airings, as it originally aired with Bring It On by Handsome Devil, playing instead of the uh, song that they they use in streaming services, which I cannot find what song they actually use here. Uh, When when they do the moo, or the uh, the play, uh, at the end of the B-plot. Yeah, I wasn't paying enough attention. Well, I mean... it's not very notable. Like, the song that they use in the streaming versions, it, like, it, it fits still, but it is not the original song uh, from where, where in the episode originally aired. Uh, but with that, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. And that's also where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls. And if you want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream video games, have chats, and just in general have a good time. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember, life is unfair.